Got a nice little microphone set up too. Yeah, please. Uh, yeah, well, I was a um, I was a podcaster for about a year, and my my network um, gave me a bunch of cool equipment, and then uh, canceled me twelve months later. So this is a wow. <laughs> until they come and pry it from my cold dead fingers, I got this killer audio setup. You know, the <laughs> focus right mixer well, over here. I'm I got a surprised. bunch of cool shit going on here. Yeah. Well, I saw uh, you solo USB hookup. Yeah. Nice. Hey, yeah. You know, at least you got something out of it. I mean, I saw you were. I, I think you're even still on the charts. Like I. I Whenever I look, I always see you, your podcast on the charts. And oh, I'd be very so. pleasantly surprised to hear that. Um, it was <laughs> anyway, it was a blast. It was so fun. It was such a fun thing. Um, it was just um, the downloads were not there. It just, I mean, I don't need to tell you guys. It's yeah, it's challenging being <laughs> it's, heard. It's a it's a somewhat saturated market. Oh, hundred um, percent. You yeah. guys started clearly like quite a few years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We've been doing it. Yeah, two thousand fifteen. I think we started. So we, oh my God. we got it's in. The same it. challenges, though. I mean, yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's cliche. You know, everybody. You know. Two guys having a podcast talking about movies. It's I know, I know. I, I tried to have like a little bit of a hook for mine, like, oh, it's a character actor. He talks to other character actors, and and I think the people who dug it really dug it, but there were not enough of them. <laughs> well, well, yeah. I mean, that's the that's the thing. Yeah, that's like such a niche thing. Which I mean, I totally dig. Like, that's awesome. Like, because you, uh, what were some of the names you had on your show? Oh my god! Because you, you did Alfred a similar Molina, thing. We had, oh yeah. Um, uh, we we had Martha Plimpton, Nestor Carbonell, um, we had Kurt Fuller, uh, Stephen Root, Alex Desert. Oh yeah, um, we oh, had wow. a bunch of really really good people. Um, uh, and it was nice too because I think a lot of people hear character actor and they go, okay, it's Wallace Shawn and Stephen Tobolowski and that list of, <laughs> of older white guys, and that's fine. But I was trying to you know broaden the definition somewhat, and. Um, uh, it just led us to some really cool conversations. I'm I'm super super proud of it. Um, House yeah. of Faces was a blast, um, and but it was also a ton of work, um, uh, which I which I think surprised me because I wanted to do good interviews. I've been interviewed by people who kind of have their head up their asses in the past, <laughs> and it's not super enjoyable. So I wanted to step up a little bit, um, but that led to tons of homework. Yeah, um, that's and if, you're, if you're if you're interviewing LA based. Ton, that, tons of homework, huh? I mean, yeah, no, I hear you. The print is huge. It's like you know, the man. I don't know why it's two hundred forty pages because I turned a one hundred eighty page manuscript. So I let me just let the record show that if you do that in a twelve point font, it should not be that long. Um, but yeah, I um, I if you interview LA based character actors, you end up watching so much Bosch. You watch so much Bosch, yeah, and Bosch is good. But I was watching it out of sequence, so I was like, wait, well, who is he mad at now? What's happening? <laughs> yeah, Why exactly. is he about to lose his badge? Um, <laughs> so there was there were a lot of uh, hidden challenges in that process. Did you, did you talk to Stephen Tobolowsky? You mentioned I him. Didn't, and, yeah. I didn't. I could not nail him down because he works constantly. Wow. Um, God bless him. But I, we, I had an in and everything. And I, we I had I him. In, we had know. him. I just got to one up you real quick. Just All, so, right, you know. All right. Fine. Uh, Flex yeah. away. <laughs> <laughs> what, did he, um, what did he, he talk about? Uh, Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Oh, that was okay. his film yeah. of choice. But yeah, I could listen. To, he, he awesome storyteller. I could listen to him talk, and he, he basically did the show for me. I was just like, 
I'm just going to sit back, let, let him talk and awesome. do his thing. But yeah, anyway, yeah, I was just curious if you, if you had him or uh, what about Wallace Shawn? You mentioned him too. Did you have him? We didn't Wallace have him. was really hard to, uh, to track down. I had one in, but it never, uh, he doesn't strike me as the sort of guy who just checks his email. Slips, right. Yeah. You know? He just really does not. <laughs> that is not, I don't get the vibe from the guy who, who co-wrote my dinner with Andre that he's really hooked on his phone, you know? So, um, yeah, I mean, there, he, it, I, I have no doubt that in three months time, I'll, I'll get an email like sure i'd love to yeah so <laughs> it's just hey. you know he doesn't have to know you're not doing the podcast you can just have him call you and yep, you yeah. know just because he also won't listen to it so fuck it i'll have him i'll talk to ball sean for an hour and nobody has to listen exactly all is sean in a forest and no one's around to hear it does it make a sound <laughs> It's funny you should you say that. I just watched my dinner with Andre for the first time uh, about a month ago, and it's good stuff, man. That's it's an it, interesting but, piece of work. Yeah, like it, yeah, it really is its own thing entirely. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's literally my dinner with Andre. Like that's what it is. It is <laughs> just two guys having dinner and talking. And it. But there's a couple fascinating moments in it. The the first off in the first couple of minutes, he mentions that he's like 35, and I'm like, that's nonsense. You've been 60 <laughs> your entire life. I will not. Exactly. I, I do not accept this one bit. <laughs> That's amazing. And then just there's incredible footage of the subway in the 80s. Um, and I grew up in Manhattan, as you having trudged through my book, you know this. But um, anytime you you I'm reminded of the fact that, like, my mom had to tell me to be careful what I touched in that subway. I just look at him like there was just gum everywhere. There was gum <laughs> everywhere. And I, the, I, I, maybe it's maybe it's led me to a, a better immunity. But um, man, what a what a time! But yeah. yeah, it's an interesting piece of work. It's it's very much of its time. I in in both the the setting, the the deliberate pace of it. Um, I you obviously could. I'm so glad it exists because I don't think you yeah. could ever make it again. You know. Oh, 100 percent. Well, and uh, I got a kick out of it just because, um, or out of the uh, one, one part, he does say inconceivable, which is brilliant because he. I know, right? Is basically that's what he's most famous for. But anyway, I stopped him on the. Sh- <laughs> I, I stopped him at a restaurant one time. I saw him in person years ago, and um, I I was like, I gotta go up and say something to Wallace Shawn, man. I gotta go up and say something to Wallace Shawn because aside from his acting work, he's also a phenomenal playwright. He wrote a couple of plays I really love, including one called The Designated Mourner, which is beyond depressing, but is really, really good. Um, And so I wanted to say something to him about it. So I go over to him and there aren't a ton of people in this life that I tower over, (laughs) but I fucking tower (laughs) over Wallace Shawn. So I go over to the guy and I go, Mr. Sean, and he looks up and goes, I'm sorry. <laughs> and I go, no, no, I just want to say I'm I'm just a huge, huge fan. And you could see his, the light go out of his eyes because like this fucking Gen X douchebag is going to make me say inconceivable. <laughs> this Gen X douchebag is going to make me say inconceivable. And I'm out with my wife in the West Village and this ass wife <laughs> this born in 1971 tool bag is going to make me and I go I just want to tell you I love the designated mourner it's one of my my favorite plays and the relief was palpable oh like, I bet. Whole, like the air just came back into the room and everyone seemed to levitate somewhat we all like hovered a little bit above the ground for a moment it was a really nice moment that's awesome. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that you actually yeah had that experience with him and uh it what 
I'm, I'm surprised you didn't uh, lead with that when I asked uh, if you had him on the podcast. That's that's great. <laughs> that, that, oh, I you know, I, I, it's um, well, I mean, I just, you know, I mean, the idea of me coming up to someone and asking them to do their speech <laughs> impediment, you know, off the clock is yeah. never I would fucking never. Are you kidding? Yeah. <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> no, yeah, <laughs> I bet. I bet you've been there. What's uh, what's what's the what's the most uh, requested thing you do when people run into you? Oh, um, uh, they're, they're actually fairly respectful. But now and again, someone will ask me to. Um, there's a moment in Big Bang near the end of the. It's the Sheldon and Amy's wedding episode where the only thing I do in that episode is sing At Last by Etta James. But, of course, it's At Last. And uh, now and again on Cameo, I will be asked to sing that for somebody's wedding. And I do so happily because that's actually pretty sweet. And I also just loved that that episode is so near and dear to my heart because it was packed with... I mean, the call sheet on that episode was fucking insane. Mark Hamill, Laurie Metcalf, Kathy Bates, Teller... um, Jerry O'Connell's there, you know, they will Wheaton's there. There's a fucking stand by me reunion going yeah. on three <laughs> feet from me. It was bonkers. <laughs> so I, I, I am so fond of that episode and my experience that week that I, I will happily relive it, especially if it's for a special occasion. I bet. I mean, for me, I mean, yeah, just Mark Hamill. That would just be, I would just be. Oh, he's so uh, cool. You know. He's exactly what you want him to be. He's right. so fucking cool. <laughs> oh my God. He's just, and I, I think it's, it's because it's been it hasn't been a completely smooth road for him. You know, mm-hmm. there there were some lulls and I, I just think it has grounded him. But, you know, again, I did something with, with Mark Hamill. I, I used my superpower of people's deep cut, um, deep cut credits. And I was like, Mark Hamill, I just got to tell you, I mean, and again, 1971. Look at me. Obviously, this guy's going to ask me to say that the force is with him or something. And I'm like, <laughs> I saw you on Broadway in The Nerd, that Larry Shue play with Robert Joy, Patricia Callender. Great night of theater, man. Thank you so much. We talked for like a half an hour about his time on Broadway. Fucking delightful. So great. <laughs> that's great. So you can do the deep cut. That's your that's your end. Uh, and that should be everyone's in, by the way. I, if I may offer this one tip to uh, you guys and your listener base, you want to grab someone's attention. Don't go for their most popular credit. If you've seen them in, in theater, if you've been in the room with them before and like they were on a stage and you were in the audience and you bring that up, you're going to hold their attention a lot longer. Well, that I'm glad you said that because I really wanted to mention uh, when you played uh, – Lester Jane in CSI New York uh, yeah, sure, in 2004. Sure. Like, I was going to mention that, you know, yeah. like. That, yeah, let's do most that. of the hour on that. Actually. <laughs> yeah. So Lester, sure. Lester's a, a complicated character. Um, he, yeah. He, there's a lot of nuance in that role. Oh. Um, that was, you know what? That was, there is a chapter in the book called You Guys Think I Killed Her because that was a line I kept having to say at auditions. Uh-huh. But the first time I booked a you guys think I killed her was CSI New York. <laughs> I'm not sure if it's actually in the finished product, but it was definitely in the audition sides. And uh, it was just there was a period of time in my 30s where I just looked like a suspect all the time. I had not aged into the dad roles, but I was way too old for the grad student roles. So I was just like creepy suspect. And every fourth audition had me saying, you you guys think I killed her? (laughs) That, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, um, I'm glad we were able to, you know, 
talk about that because that's for, for the longest time that I've always wanted to ask you about that. So sure. thank Gary you Sinise for that. Was nice. yeah. Oh, I've heard he's like that, one of the nicest guys in the world. Really nice like, guy. And another uh, actually uh, another uh, not particularly tall actor. Um, I don't know. Uh, so that's kind of maybe that's why I got the gig because I'm only five eight. And <laughs> I feel I, like you, know, you have a, I feel like you have a running list of all the actors you're taller than. <laughs> there aren't a fucking ton of them, dude. Okay, there are not I mean, a fucking ton. Mini Driver's not on that list, so yeah, I absolutely cherish the rare actors that are shorter than me, and I'm very fond of them, and I've enjoyed yeah, working with them. Oh uh, yeah, because you <laughs> you play her husband, and she's yeah, she's definitely taller. What yeah, she's five ten. Five ten. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. You just can't tell when you're watching, really. And yeah, <laughs> everyone's height gets. It's all obscured unless people are like lined up right next to each other. And then, and well, she. You know, I never made a big thing about it, but she apparently has worked with actors, and she wouldn't name names. And even if she did, I probably wouldn't rat them out. But she worked with actors who would insist that, like, she that they don't stand on a box, but she stands in a hole, <laughs> so they would look taller. Interesting. And I was like, I will do none of those things. I will. No, that's crazy. I'm not going to stand on an apple crate, but I'm certainly not going to ask you to, you know, we're not going to did some sort of ditch so you can. <laughs> no, that's insane. <laughs> but apparently it happens. Wow. Uh, it's such a it's such a w- weird world. I, we, we, we hear little bits and pieces and we never want to like press anybody because you say the wrong thing and your career's over or whatever. But like all like, you know, the egos, the demands and like the weird stuff that people have that that people in, in your line that have to kind of deal with and stomach and kind of move past. It's just <laughs> whenever we get little stories like that, it just cracks me up. You just have to find it funny. You just absolutely have to find it funny. I, or, yeah. I can you imagine lose your mind. Yeah. But um, if you find it funny, it's um, it's really funny. It's really, really funny yeah. <laughs> if you find it funny, it's funny. Yeah. Go figure. Go figure. <laughs> um, yeah, so so I mean, your approach is to just not is to take things as they are and then not not take things too seriously. When... Oh, I would love to tell you that I'm some sort of like Zen guy who just kind of floats through life, not getting upset with shit. But it is ta- it is it's taking me a while to get here. Yeah. But I'm able to to laugh a lot of stuff off now. And um, and I've also been pretty lucky. You know, I haven't worked with like the the people who throw shit or or any of that. You know, I've 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 obviously you know, a hundred plus credits. I've bumped into some sizable egos along the way, but most of the time I've been pretty lucky and people have been, uh, friendly and chill and, um, or at the very least not mean. So I, I, I can't complain. You know, how do you, uh, how do you manage your stress on set? I manage my stress on set. That's a really good question. Um, I remember that it's a job, um, and that stress is part of work. Um, uh, and is inevitable. And while it is certainly the most fun job I've ever had, and I've had a few, I, I remember that just because someone else is being unprofessional doesn't mean I get to be, and that's okay. And I just try to stay focused and, and, you know, find the person, uh, I'm supposed to be working with, um, you know, if they're being a dick, maybe I use that, you know, maybe if <laughs> if if blank isn't sticking around for her coverage, then I can just go, well, I'm supposed to be sort of alienated from blank anyway. So fine, I'll yeah. just talk to her stand in this way. Um, and and you, you find ways to cope or um, you quit and go into real estate. <laughs> <laughs> 
Now, speaking of uh, Dave loves my segues. Um, speaking of my speaking <laughs> of oranges, <laughs> oranges. Uh, no, but uh, speaking of you know character actors, things like that. Um, what's uh, what's your? Uh, I see Fred Armisen has a quote for your book. Uh, very nice quote, which is great. Um, what's uh, what, what's your relationship with him? Is he a friend? Is he? Do, he is. Do, well, very recently. Um, well. First off, Fred was one of the first people I met when I moved to L.A. Before he was on SNL, we shared a manager. Neither of us are with the guy anymore, but we shared a manager, and he was someone I met at auditions, um, and then he booked SNL, and we loosely kept in touch, but he he went off to uh, the other side of the country to do his thing. And I was like, man, I just got here, and, and this guy <laughs> I met has left. And his stuff on SNL was singular and weird and funny and and yeah the the level of experimentation he did on that institution is really striking isn't it you know i just think of like the 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 hallmark of his great bits was that they're so hard to explain his bits on snl were so solidly you had to be there do you remember the bit that him and Vanessa Bayer used to do where they were old friends with a dictator? And they, do you know the bit I'm talking about? Yeah, and, where they secret, they like would, secret. They would prefer, like, like, oh, he's great. He's great. Kim Jong-un great. is great. But I sometimes feel like he's not <laughs> listening. And it was, it was, it's so hard to explain that bit to somebody. Right. It's like, you know, you're like, it's a weird person. You don't want to talk shit about them, but they're also responsible for genocide. And, you know, so, <laughs> right. Yeah. And I love bits like that that just do not translate at all that know? definitely is one of his <laughs> yeah. i feel like his definitions of humor right there because i yeah. i'm huge fan of portlandia which i think needs to be more mainstream and people need to like it but that that wouldn't be too so punk rock for it to be you know well, i mean that's uh, the mainstream whole problem, then, you know? <laughs> i mean that would, I mean, that would defeat the whole purpose You're right it? exactly he, he heard me on a podcast called turned out a punk uh, that a guy named Damien Abraham does, who's the lead singer of a punk band called Fucked Up. And he's this incredible punk rock historian who interviews punk musicians, sure, but also people who who America doesn't realize got their start in punk, uh, like Fred, like myself, like Bill Hader, who's a massive Bad Brains fan, who knew? Um, and we... Um, he reached out to me. He's like, "Oh, I don't think we've ever talked about this." And I said, "Oh, yeah, no." I and I and I I was familiar with Trenchmouth, his band, and so we've met for coffee a couple times. Uh, he's a sweetheart. I like I like Fred a lot. He's a really really smart, interesting guy and a bonkers talented musician. Oh yeah, yeah, I, yeah. And his whole uh, stand up for drummers, um, or I think that something yeah. along those lines. It's called yeah. Yeah. Just, just, yeah. <laughs> like uh, very few people are like this, and Fred is one of them. Where is in, in either in Portlandia or any really anything he does where you just just his face <laughs> makes you laugh like because you he know, does like... have he I mean he is blessed with a certain look that is is um unconventional enough that it's sort of instant comedy no question yeah and he's got he he has it's not just I mean it's not just the way his face looks like he has the an expression which like click something like oh okay i know who this i know who this version of fred is and it just cracks me up every time it's just, it's just that rare ability uh, to just put himself in whatever character or 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 intention that he's playing for that that one part it's just it's amazing. yeah it it's really it's really something to behold and the the idiosyncratic vision of both portlandia and documentary now mhm are such that 
I mean, nobody else is doing what he's doing. Right. Nobody else is doing. You know, there's people who go from SNL to different sketch or right. go on to do film work or they go on to do a sitcom. And he has just completely blazed his own trail. And it's it's impressive. And he had a lovely he actually I he was the one quote we had to drastically edit because he gave me like a page of lovely <laughs> shit. And I was like, this is great. Uh, it, you know, it's you realize this is going to be book size. Like this is going to be like a coffee table book, right? Like yeah, a, right. a finite amount of room on the back. It was so. I mean, what a great problem to have to you know yeah. to edit Fred Armisen's laudatory blurb. He, he's like, this is how I get my book out too. I you know write I, a book clearly, about yeah. your book. <laughs> he should have got. I mean, that's the other thing. The one thing about writing a um, memoir is you you get this weird sense of survivor guilt because you're like, okay, I wrote a book. That's great. Where the fuck? is fred armison's book <laughs> where the fuck is fred armison's book you hear him on like any one of the interviews he's done and he's also lived a gazillion lives he was married to a mekon i mean it's just it's just it's endless with him it's fascinating um yeah there's a lot of people who should be writing books but um i inexplicably got there first and so, of course, John, John's book is no job for a man um i was not lucky enough to receive a copy but i did i did read um <laughs> The description of it said something about uh, I don't remember I don't have it in front of me it was something about a, a thankless or soulless job copywriting. Um, yeah. Part of uh, what I've not, been doing. I won't say thankless, but it was definitely soulless. I mean, soulless. I was compensated for it, but it was pretty soulless. Yeah, it just made me laugh because uh, I've been do- part of what I've been doing for my job in different roles has been copywriting. <laughs> Just oh no! <laughs> I mean, it is it is what you make it. It depends on. I mean, are you are you doing freelance work? No, it's it's always like a it's like a secondary part of what I do. So, but I get to at least it's 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 not like it's not like traditional copywriting where it's super salesy. Mm-hmm. Um, so which is better that like that stuff that is the soulessest. That's what I was doing. Do. I was doing super salesy stuff for a famous consulting firm, and it was. Um, it's the worst. I was, just, I was just helping them move money around. I was just helping them like, okay, you're gonna hire a corporation's gonna hire this LLC to teach them how to do something, and people are probably gonna get fired in the process. And uh, <laughs> and here's some here's a paragraph on why we're awesome. And it was just killing me. <laughs> uh, it's, it's the absolute worst. And then like the, and the people who are good at it, they're like the worst people in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. I have no, I have no further comment on that. I was, <laughs> I, I'm trying to think who the other copywriters were on my. Oh well, no, she was kind of garbage. Yeah, you're right. Now that you mention it, um, <laughs> yeah, it's the guy who tells you how his last, um, um, last thing that he sent out uh, bought his new Rolex. It's that guy. <laughs> oh, that's awful. Oh, that's awful. The guys. It's funny when I was working at at this unnamed consulting firm. I was right near the guys who did graphics and did. Um, you know all the all the design for the brochures and the 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 mid '90s website um, for the firm, and those guys were kind of fascinating because they were all really cool, and they also could wear whatever they want because they were irreplaceable. Yeah, they were. You know, there was they, if in a pinch, a partner could do what I do, could mm-hmm. step in and write a paragraph about whatever. But the guys in graphics were like, "Oh, I'm sorry. Do you know Adobe Illustrator? <laughs> no, you don't. So I don't wear a tie. That's how this works. Uh, like that so guy. I'm here in a T-shirt today, and you're going to deal with that. Yeah, right. Nobody else knows Photoshop. <laughs> now I'm always interested to know, like, was there a specific uh, moment uh, that you knew, like, I 
why don't I write a book? Why don't I write a memoir? Was there a specific moment or was it kind of just like, I'm, I'd like to write, write a book one day and then it just sort of finally I, I, happened? It's it's a reasonable question. There wasn't one set moment. I've I've always written and I, I did like some personal essay stuff and I and somewhere in this house, thank God they're not on soft copies. I just have hard copies of of at least one terrible novel I wrote in my twenties. Um, so I've always written, but I a literary agent Todd Schuster reached out to me a few years ago and um, uh, and said I think you might have a book in you. Should we have coffee? And I thought. Oh, I love coffee. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, have coffee that's... with anybody who wants to have coffee with me. So we had some coffee, and I started writing something that was going to be sort of a fluffy actor memoir. Um, I'm not going to name any names, but there's a certain brand of like, oh, I vaguely recognize this person, and here's their book, and here's some wacky stories about Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And he pointed out, like, this is okay, but your dad is a huge part in even in the margins of these stories do you want to talk a little bit more about that? And I said, not really. And he goes, mm, I think you probably should. And so what, what, what happened was the, I got the title first and the title was a quote that my father used to use about the acting profession. He used to say, well, Spencer Tracy used to say acting is no job for a man. And I, I, I heard that phrase and thought, well, that's a, a terrible thing to say to your son, but also <laughs> this gives me very strict, guidelines for the book now if i use this title and i think it's a striking title if mm -hmm. i use this title then i basically am focused on jobs and manhood and my relationship with my dad you know it's all there it's all there so i chipped away anything that wasn't that um, so whole chapters came and went because they really weren't on that theme of my relationship to work his relationship to work and i, I think what's you know, there, it takes a certain amount of audacity to write a memoir. Um, there's a constant, you know, uh, editor over your shoulder, an internal editor that that that's saying, "Who the fuck are you?" <laughs> <laughs> but what I think, what I, I hope distinguishes the book is that it's not some sort of like great Santini, mommy dearest teardown of my father, who's not here to defend himself. It's a little more complicated than that. It's a little. This is a guy who had artistic aspirations of his own, I think, and wasn't able to follow through on them. And instead of being thrilled that his son was was moving in that artistic direction, got a little jealous, got a little weird. And eventually we came to uh, to not no spoilers, but eventually we came to a sort of understanding of um, of what how we viewed work. Uh, and how we viewed each other. So it, yeah, that's a very, very long answer. There was no um, one, yeah. like, one epiphany moment, but it, it came together kind of slowly and organically, and I think that's for the better. Was it, uh, I mean, I assume it was therapeutic in a way to write about these certain things. Um, uh, I mean, yeah, well, I mean, was it therapeutic? Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah. it, was. It, it feels almost cliche to say that, but it was therapeutic yeah. because it, if you just sit down and look at the six or seven huge events in your life, you're going to make a little more sense to yourself and that will calm you down. That will make you feel a little less like you're, you know, sitting in the back of an Uber and the driver's on mushrooms, which is how life can feel sometimes. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I'm not in control. I don't know where right. he's going. Who is this guy? Um, 
what the fuck did I even hit the right app? What is happening right now? But if you if you really sit down and go, okay, all right, interesting. Okay, so I I I I grew up with this dad who has this job that he hates, but that's my example. Like that's what's there, and you know, that's what's right in front of me. That apparently to me is what being a grown up is. But mm-hmm. he keeps introducing me to you know all this great TV and and theater, and he takes me to see uh, awesome movies and everything. And so I'm I'm getting these sort of mixed messages of how this is an awesome thing to consume, but we shouldn't necessarily participate in it. And then everything in my life after that is this sort of push pull of like what's responsibility and what's uh you know creative expression and is there any possible way i can merge the two yeah um and and not just be this incredible uh drain on society yeah you just find yourself making a lot more sense you find yourself drawn to certain themes in your life and it is a it can be a weirdly calming experience it's a little anxiety ridden too oh sure yeah <laughs> but in a, in a macro sense you're like oh yeah uh, my dad did this thing, and that's probably why I do this thing, and that's probably why my kids are gonna go over here and do that thing. Huh. Yeah. So how do you how do you manage those messages that you're sending to your kids with all that in mind? Uh, what I I try to um, I try to expose them to as much joy as I as I can in my own job. I try to to make sure they see me enjoying myself without you know being some sort of deadbeat dad who comes home at 3 a.m. I, I, I try to um, encourage them as much as I can without doting on them, which is a delicate balance. Duncan, do you either of you have kids? Yes, I have three. Okay. Yep. You have three. Okay. Have, yeah. So, yep. you know, there's, a, there's <laughs> that weird kind of balance between I want to support this kid. I want to also set boundaries. Yep. I also want to set reasonable expectations but I, I do want them to do better than me. Um, that said, if either of my kids is a series regular before 30, they can go fuck themselves. <laughs> that said, yeah, I mean, that, at least they know, you know, at least they know. Boundaries. Boundaries. That's boundaries, what it's all about. Boundaries, Benjamin. <laughs> That's right. Did um, Now, I, I just got the book yesterday, so I have not finished. But was your dad able to see your success? Some of it. Okay. Um, yeah. he, uh, he'd been a smoker uh, and it caught yeah. up with him uh, before he turned 70. Um, he did. And I think he grew to understand that. I, I, I think he eventually grew to understand that there are a bunch of different ways to define success in this business. And um, I think he had the same misapprehension that a lot of people do and that especially a lot of parents do that there is no middle class in acting. Now, I hasten to add that when I say middle class, I don't mean middle class in any conventional sense of the term. But I mean that group of people that is not forced to wait tables, but is not living in Malibu and uh, doing six movies a year. Um, There is a bunch of us in the middle there who just this is our job and this is what we do. And we qualify for insurance and um, we don't have to have a day job, um, uh, but we are not uh, hugely famous. And a lot of us are still renting. And and that's where we are. And I think my dad via me finally came to an understanding that that is not a bad way to live. Um, yeah. And that it doesn't acting can't be about um, constantly looking for uh, fame and incredible fortune because that will I mean, you, you will almost likely be incredibly disappointed <laughs> yeah no, no. I, but yeah. how do you 
deal with that precarity though um you know you could be gone tomorrow i mean i hope you're not but right i mean that's always in the back of your mind right i'm sure that's a big motivator but it is it is but you know i i deal with that precarious nature um by remembering that i was not good at my day job (laughs) and there's a there's a certain security in knowing you can only really do one thing well um, and that's a short, flippant answer. There's other things I do. I work on a podcast. Yeah. I keep writing. I, I, yeah. I write for. I, 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 I keep occupied. I have irons in a lot of different fires. I, I, I. For a while there, when I moved here, I was just getting sitcom work, which was great. Yeah. And I, I took a shine to it, but I kept pushing my agents. Like I know I'm a tough sell because I don't have a, a bachelor's in 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 theater. Um, but I really want to try to go out for more hour long. Please put me out for more hour long. And they did. And I started booking that and that made it that much easier for me to be sort of a reliable go-to guy. So it wasn't just, Oh, he just does multi-cam sitcoms. That's just Mm -hmm. where he lives. I begged to be like, you know, let me be the murder suspect. Let me occasionally work my way up to murderer, which I eventually did. Yeah. Give Um, me child molester. I know. Come on. I'm only the suspect. Uh, I haven't done child molester, but I've done kind (laughs) of dicey offender. I've done guy who like, dude, she's 16. That's not okay. Um, Um, but I, um, I, I'm, I don't know when this is gonna, this is gonna stream, but, um, as we're recording this tonight, I'm, I'm, I'm on station 19. I'm positive. I'm going to die. Um, I, I've, I've fought really hard to diversify as much as I could within this business so that I'm not stuck in any one box. And I, you know, it's still hard to kind of get around that, but, um, there was a lot of pushing of like, you know, send me out. I want to start going out for the CSIs. I want to start going out for, for all, all these other, uh, hour long procedurals. Let's, let's get me in a hospital bed. Come on guys. I'm, I'm <laughs> it. I, yeah. I mean, cause I mean, what, what was the name? Where, where is it? Uh, CSI. What was your name? You're CSI? really airing on, a, uh, on an episode of hold station. On, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. That's awesome. Well, that's yeah. crazy. Where's the CSI? Oh, hold on, guys. Uh, uh, what Peter. Oh, no, that was CSI crime scene investigation. Um, oh, yes, I've done. Uh, I've done two. Uh, I did CSI uh, OG and CSI. The, the New York one. Yeah, that's why, you know, I mentioned the New York one. Uh, but <laughs> um, I love, I love, well, are you still are you still searching or you, you got what you no, want? No, I was just, I was, it was my attempt at humor. And, you know, it oh. sometimes, you know, that's comedy, folks. That's show, showbiz. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it's it doesn't. Really you know? erratic. It's yeah, exactly. It's science, man. It's an inexact science. <laughs> exactly. Are those procedurals the, are they factory line or is it? more uh involved or not i think involved, they, but... I, I mean i think in the wrong hands they can be but you yeah. you you have to recognize that you you can't treat it like this is just another case of the week you have to treat it like this is the craziest thing that has happened to this character probably in their life yeah. you know even if it was just like they were in a restaurant where somebody got killed and they're being questioned by the police that was something i've always really strict about like i'm not going to be the guy who keeps like you know, there's that great John Mulaney bit about the the people who keep moving crates while they're being questioned by the police. Like, no, I will stop my job. I will stop yeah. working to answer the questions of the homicide detective who have come into my workplace. 
because I'm frightened by what might happen. I have never right. actually been questioned by the police, but I imagine it's a scary thing. So I I, I try to keep it as uh, as not factory lined, as not cookie cutter as I possibly can and realize like this is going to be the craziest thing that happens in this guy's lifetime. Uh, I love it. <laughs> Great stuff. Um, we'll, we'll we'll talk a little bit more about the book uh, in a little bit, but uh, we uh, have people who no are on. No job for a man. No job for a man, November 8th, right? Uh, it's actually November 1st. I, I uh, my my thing says November eighth. All right, I know, there but you... I, I just talked to my I just okay. talked to the publishers, uh, the publishers publicist. Man, that's publishers rough. publicist. Publishers there, publicist. Yeah. Okay, Ugh. and I have like a bit of a sibling ass too, so it really that's a beast. Yeah, that's um, that's a toughie. That's a toughie. I I, ha- I talked to the lady who does marketing for the book people, and uh, uh, that person said um, uh, November first, uh, and I just went to a, a neighborhood bookstore and signed a bunch. And they're like, we put these out on the shelves on Tuesday, November 1st. I'm like, okay, I'll take your word for it. Here we go. Excellent. Um, Love it. doesn't matter. Um, if you pre-order it, it'll get there when it gets there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it, 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 it'll get there when it gets there. That's 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 my motto. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll we'll you know uh, plug that again. Obviously, um, a little later. I you know obviously we want to get to uh, the. Our niche is uh, having people on who are in the business come on and talk about one of their favorite films or a favorite film. Um, And you chose Edgar Wright's and, I guess, Simon Pegg's uh, Shaun of the Dead, which I was thrilled uh, when that was your choice. Uh, What uh, I got to ask, what made you choose this film? Shaun of the Dead is a movie I saw on opening night here in LA with a packed house which is a terrific way to see that movie where no one knows what's coming and everyone's really enjoying themselves and there's a theater here that closed during the pandemic called the Arclight fairly famous theater it was behind the Cinerama Dome uh, very the very famous Hollywood landmark and um, back then they had there were two things going on I was still drinking I hadn't quit yet and uh, they had an over 21 screening where you could bring a cocktail into your um, Perfect. So I had a nice little buzz on and I went in to watch Shaun of the Dead with my my new wife. And it was just such a transporting, joyous evening at the movies. It's such a great movie movie. It's it's made with so much love for movies and and music to a certain extent. Uh, It loves actors. There's just a ton of joy that goes into that film. Yeah, Um, we just lost Dave. No, I got a stupid camera. His oh, camera, okay. it's no big deal. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't need to see him. Yeah, you don't need to see my face. <laughs> um, but what, what strikes me about um, Shaun of the Dead that I think is so special is that there are actually quite a few horror comedies out there um, uh, of varying levels of quality. But, you know, I grew up there with yeah. like Saturday the 14th. And then you get a little bit past that. You get to American Werewolf in London. Um, to a certain extent, depending on your mood, maybe Scream is a horror comedy. Tremors uh, yeah. works as a horror comedy. And I love every movie I've just mentioned. But And they're all scary and they're all funny. Shaun of the Dead does this incredible trifecta where it's funny and scary and then moving. Yes. A way that is unheard of for the genre and shouldn't work, but does based on the, the work of those actors. 
but the the arc of Sean and Ed and Sean and his mom in that movie is I honestly I'm getting a little verklempt talking about it. <laughs> it's so well done. You you the laughs land, the scares work, and then when it's time for you to like feel a sense of loss, that works too. Right. And it and I'm really, really hard pressed to think of another film that does that. Yeah, I yeah. have to agree. I was it's funny you mentioned Scream because I was kind of thinking this is sort of like Scream in the sense that it's very self-aware of what it is mm-hmm. and it's not taking itself too seriously. And it, and it signals to you, the viewer, not to take it seriously as well. But then it does actually have, like you said, those those little tiny heart moments. There's actually some characters that you really do care about in this movie, whereas Scream, you really don't give a shit about anybody. Kind no, of I mean, thing. you know, everyone's cute, so you don't want anyone to die. Like, you know, yeah. I'm not going to, I don't want to see Nev Campbell get hurt. I watched Drew Barrymore die earlier, and that wasn't fun. Right. Um, but, you know, I, I there's I mean, Nev Campbell, she's adorable. She's Canadian. Why would I wish her harm? You know, so you're rooting for her, but it, you don't have like that emotional connection that you do with. Sean and Ed and all the characters, Diane, Liz, all of them. Yes, I did all double check the names before I I signed up. But everyone in the in the movie has uh, a moment. Yeah, it's it's also a great ensemble piece. I'm I'm, oh absolutely sentences here because yes, it is called Sean of the Dead. Sean is absolutely the main character, but. It's one of those wonderful movies where everyone has a moment. Rafe yeah. Spall has like one thing as a flunky employee in the first half hour, <laughs> right. and he's great. And he sets up a callback that runs through the entire film that you've got red on you. That whole thing that starts with Rafe Spall's brief, brief scene in the beginning before he lost all the weight, right. and then he, <laughs> before he got all life of pie on us. Um, yep. but, um, he, uh, everyone has a great little moment. Tamsin Grieg has a tiny little moment where she's fantastic. And it's, um, Lucy Davis from the office is so good. Oh my God. She's so good. And right. Movie. Yeah. Um, well, you even have, uh, I mean, he's only in it for tiny, another one from the office. Um, Martin Freeman is in it. Yeah. Martin Freeman. Of, thank right. you. Yes. Martin Freeman shows up. Bill Nye yep. at the peak of his Bill Nye powers. The <laughs> music when they, when it. It's so engineered for me, too, because I love what it's saluting. I love the zombie genre that it's saluting. And to not mansplain to my wife was a failed endeavor. I did mansplain to my wife because I'm sitting there and the first two music cues you hear are the opening theme from Dawn of the Dead, which segues into the specials Ghost Town, um, which are two jokes that I almost stood up at the theater like, I get this. (laughs) I have a couple drinks in me and I get this movie. Um, which is a fun, you know, fun to be married to. But the the sense of of oh, we should put that in. Oh, we should put that in. Oh, we should put that in yeah. without it going to the absurdest lengths of an anchorman or an airplane, and still just being this love letter to the zombie genre. Yeah. Um, yes built on genuine relationships and with a weird little bit of social commentary too that only gets more prescient the opening credits after there's that cold open in the in the winchester and then it's morning and you see them the london sort of come awake but the joke is that everyone's on their phones everyone's just standing there waiting for the buses we're all zombies already yeah everyone's already zombies yep we're already zombies man they warned us in 2004 the fucking iphone wasn't even out yet I know. That's they what's crazy. They warned us. Uh, 
like yeah, it's a masterpiece. The more I'm thinking about it, the more I'm talking about it, the more I'm so glad we I, I picked this one. There's yeah, so and many. Even Sean doesn't become self aware of his zombie nature because at the end of the movie, because we see that in the beginning, his stumble, and mm-hmm. he's still he's still doing it even after everything he went through. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's the... interesting because at the end of the movie, it it there, and if you I can't believe if you'd be listening this far into the podcast if you haven't seen Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, that but, goes without um, saying. <laughs> I'm about to spoil it. The end of the movie, of course, ends with him going out to the shed out back where he has somehow rescued a zombie Ed. And <laughs> as long as he keeps his distance, the two of them are still able to play video games together, yeah. which is yep. a lovely, <laughs> Makes lovely sense. ending. Yeah. And, um, but, but what's interesting is that there is a sense now of that not being a checkout from reality. That's about him savoring this time with his friend. That's yes. about him staying in the moment a little more often. Um, the scene right before that is him and Liz uh, just going to sit around and they're going to uh, do the crossword and then maybe they're going to swing over to the Winchester and they're just going to just enjoy, realize that every single day is a gift. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, and, and that's also a lovely message to, uh, to take out of the movie theater. Hundred percent. Yeah, there's so many uh, different, like you said, layers to the to the film that you know seems like it's going to be just like a slapstick comedy. But then there's like they they add the layer of emotion to it. And what's crazy to me is you know the whole film. He's like you know saying you know about he's not my real dad. He's not my dad. You know about Bill Nye. Like then that's like the first tear that shed in the movie is him talking to him and you see like a tear like coming down his eye like he's mm-hmm. fully like you know because uh, he knows how much philip means to his mom right and, yeah uh, penelope wilton from downton abbey what the yeah. cast is insane <laughs> it really is the cast uh, is fucking insane <laughs> You had mentioned about, uh, you know, shout outs to old horror movies. My, I think my favorite is when he says, uh, when he calls his mom. You know me. You was know me. It was, yes. I screamed. Yeah, the mom is called Barbara, and when they're worried that Philip's been bitten, they scream into the phone, we're coming to get you, Barbara, which is a callback to the original Night of the Living Dead, where well, it's... Johnny the brother says, uh, they are coming to get you, Barbara. I was um, the, the little tidbit, um, little factoid. My mother introduced me to Night of the Living Dead. Her name's I saw it Barbara. With my mom too. Get out of town. I saw it with my mom for the first time at a revival house in Manhattan. <laughs> wow, awesome. that is awesome. It was her first time as well. We went together. Um, oh, okay, it was. Well, it wasn't quite her introducing me, but we went together, and she loved it. Yeah, she, it, it, she was like, "My God, that's a Greek tragedy. That's so good." <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, my, so my mom's name is Barbara, and she introduced me to it, and her sisters used to antagonize her because oh, they would always no. say, like, <laughs> in the middle of the night, like, we're coming to get you, Barbara. Oh, no. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's horrible. So, yeah, so that's, <laughs> it was my introduction to that. So when I heard that, you know, in this film, I'm like, oh, my God, they and said I it. <laughs> in the theater, it's so up. great. As and I, asshole who stood up during the first music cue. <laughs> that's dipshit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I also love too that uh, the the movie knows you know what it's about. You know it's a zombie film going in, yeah. so like they keep playing with you. They, you know, Edgar Wright keeps like doing these like fake jump scares, like. It's going to, oh, oh, this is where, you know, the first zombie's going to come. This is where, and it's like, no, he's ma- he makes you wait for it, you know? And I, yeah, yeah I just, I love that technique. And they also do, the other thing that's amazing, and that it, it doesn't, it came up a little bit at the time, 
but it does that oh we're going to act like zombies and we're going to walk through the zombies and that's how we'll get away with it and they they do that a couple years before the comic walking dead comes out or the tv show comes mm. out and the tv show they have to make it gross and it's about the smell and they cover themselves right. with dead dead people and that's how the zombies ignore them but i it, the thought of losing that moment where where Lucy Davis is giving them the rundown on how to act like a zombie <laughs> yeah. and like getting really into the character. And that's like, oh, I'll do it on the night. This is the night. Right? Everything <laughs> about that moment is just gold. It's just like when they talk about like the fun and games of the second act of a screenplay, like that is a perfect example of fun and games. Like they have to sneak through the street to get to the Winchester by acting like zombies. And we get to see the acting class that precedes it. It's gorgeous. <laughs> perfect. I love slows. Slow zombies are the best. They're better than the. the oh yeah, no, I, no, they, no. Yeah. We're not even talking about it. I mean, I'll, I'll give it up for the the Dawn of the Dead remake was better than it had any right to be, no question. Yeah. Um, and there's moments in the uh, the 28 later movies that yeah, that 28 days later, yes, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll um, give it up. But for yeah, that one. generally speaking, I think I think uh, Simon Pegg gave an interview one time where like uh, you know. Uh, being a zombie is a is a, a handicap, not an energy drink. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. I love I, that. I, I am inclined to agree with it. Also, it doesn't really make any. I mean, these people are still decaying, right? I mean, they're not yeah. going to be sprinters. <laughs> well, exactly. You know, yeah. None of it really makes sense, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I should give the logic police the night off, regardless. But, but yeah. you know, as great as the the ensemble is, I mean, Simon Pegg is he's so awesome he's so, so awesome and i feel like here's a guy who just to kind of call back to what i was talking about earlier here's a guy who was doing a very very good britcom in the form of spaced but was probably not getting a chance to show his range and and i think one of the reasons the film came to be is like this gave simon Pegg a chance to show that he could be genuinely scared and genuinely moved and genuinely angry and he goes through every stage of grief in the course of an hour and 40 minutes and he's fantastic yeah oh, he's he's so a, good. it's a phenomenal performance yeah he was able to show his yeah acting chops and all that because what, what was he did uh, a series before this i think spaced. they did sp- what was it spaced spaced um and i think they even had like a zombie episode and everything and uh, they, they were, might have yeah but it's him yeah. Nick frost and edgar wright and it's, it's yeah. very much um and what's her face oh god i actually met her one time the woman who saves the day at the end his friend he's not she's not the love interest but she's yes the woman you're right that shows up with the army at the end of the movie i can't yep. the actress's name julia yeah i i, I it's it, me it, <laughs> it is <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can't. It's not even on IMDb. Come on, man. Anyway, but yeah, we know who you're talking about. We yeah, do. Yeah. <laughs> um, she was on. Uh, she was on Space, which is magnificent. And uh, sometimes it's on. It's one of those things that kind of comes and goes from the streamers, kind of erratically, but is completely worth uh, checking out. I'll have um, to check it out. Yeah, I've never seen it. Yeah, it's it's it, a it's a really good uh, piece of work. Um, it's funny. A few months ago, I um, I, I don't know. Chekhov's gun came up. Um, and I like looked up like, what are, what are like the best uses of Chekhov's gun in, in film? And, um, you know, when you chose this, it brought me back to that because yeah, this, this is like number one on every list, the Winchester gun over the rifle. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Um, which is, yeah, like basically Chekhov's, uh, gun thing. If you show a gun in the first act, you have to to, in the last one. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Um, 
And it, uh, Jessica, uh, she was Jessica Stevenson at the time. She is now Jessica Hines. Um, there you of, go. Uh, I think we're all the same. We're all the kind of person who would not have been able to sleep. Had right. No, 100 <laughs> percent. Yes. I feel like I'm speaking to my kin here. So I think yes. all of us would have just walked around that, our individual houses all night, clawing at the walls. Jessica Stevenson. <laughs> there we go. I'm Phew. Uh, I can uh, sleep tonight. John, are you fa- are you a fan of what they call is it the Cornetto trilogy and Cornetto Hot Fuzz trilogy. and yeah. World's End? Um, I I am. I I Shaun of the Dead is is such a masterpiece that anything after that is going to be diminishing returns to a certain mm-hmm. extent. But they're all they all have incredible incredible moments. And I want to go back to watching Hot Fuzz because I've not watched Hot Fuzz since I watched The Crown, and mm-hmm. I want to go back and watch Funny Olivia Coleman. Oh, right. Because Olivia Olivia Coleman and she's one of the cops in Hot Fuzz, along with Patty Considine. Uh, Uh, And it would be on the brink of a Timothy Dalton uh, comeback for a moment there. And I don't know what happened there. Maybe I mean, for all I know, he's working in British TV all the time and doesn't, you know. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like you never (laughs) quite know. Uh, But yeah, yeah, I want to go back and watch Hot Fuzz again because I, I remember enjoying a lot of it i I will say olivia coleman uh uh, the favorite no matter what you think about that movie or if you've even seen it but anyway yeah like it's subtle humor like it's like she she has a lot of subtle humor in that there's a lot of very subtle humor to contrast some very not subtle and occasionally nauseating camera work um i don't mean yes yes you know i mean i'm probably not going to work with him anyway but uh there's moments where it's like hey look what i look at this what this cool lens can do and i remember sitting there in the theater just being like oh my god i'm so car sick i'm so car sick what is happening but she is magnificent in it don't worry he doesn't listen to this podcast so you can say whatever you want um by the way a regular subscriber I don't think so. John, you mentioned uh, Timothy Dalton. I just I just came across this today. I don't know if you if you watch Yellowstone or uh, any of the spinoff series. Well, they have a spin an upcoming spinoff limited series called 1923 with um, Harrison Ford and Helen Mirren. Timothy Dalton's actually going to be in that series. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Maybe I'll start there. What if I start there? Would that be weird? Don't start to, there. Well, well, I don't start there. Go back and do Yellowstone. Okay. You you gotta you gotta kind of well, there's there's Yellowstone, which is like four seasons. And then there's uh, 1883. 1883 with um uh Tim, Tim McGraw. Yeah. It's fantastic. It's just it's like ten episodes. And then they're following up. It's it follows basically the story of one family. Yeah, it's um, organized crime on the frontier, right? Essentially. Am I being a little bit that, but that's, that's about right. But okay. there's there's a there's a very interest there's a there's an interesting through line between uh, the people who settled this land and became ranchers versus the Native Americans who had that land before, and it's an ongoing tension. Um, and then just you know fights over this what is basically paradise on earth and who wants the land and who's okay. gonna it's fantastic. Um, but, I, I, but you know my endorsement doesn't count because I haven't been able to get Ben to watch a goddamn episode of any of it. So <laughs> I want to. I just haven't yet. Does 1883 direct like can you tell it's connected? Like do they make obvious connections to uh, it? Or? It's a ancestor of the family but you. I don't think you wouldn't. I mean 1883 is fantastic but <clears throat> what would be like if you would watch Yellowstone it's a 10. If you watched 1883 it would be like a 7 just because you don't quite get the full context of what it might mean for the future god not that kind of a thing so i mean you can watch it i mean go fuck man just watch anything i don't care what watch it out of order just watch anything (laughs) just whatever man man. (laughs) game stop telling Uh, me what to do (laughs) yeah 
can't believe how you treat a guest. Um, what? Uh, another uh, quick, you know, layer uh, about this film is, you know, Simon Pegg. You know, he's kind of he's not on Ed's level. You know, where he's a total, uh, um, whatever you want to call Ed, uh, fuck up, waste of space. Yeah, yeah fuck yeah, up. Yeah. You know, it's uh, he kind of wants uh, to be though. Yeah, <laughs> but, but he's still like he, he he loves Ed and everything, but he wants to make his girlfriend happy, and you know, but he's got some, I guess, growing up to do, or you know, just yeah. kind of responsibilities he's got to have in this like apocalypse kind of brings that out in him liz mm-hmm. is able to see like oh man he can take charge like this is like this is kind of his redemption yeah. uh way of redemption which i love too like it's another layer like this movie's about redemption it's about you know feeling lost it's about you know like there's growth. just <laughs> growth, growth yeah, exactly 30 plus yes exactly <laughs> yeah, exactly no he, which is crazy he says he's 29 in this movie i'm <laughs> like man i feel so freaking old um, <laughs> british is weird though british people yeah old. i don't know it, it's not sun exposure, but British people age differently. I'm just yeah. that. I don't want to get into details, but right, like three yeah. years ago, I used to point out all the time. It's less funny now, but I used to point out all the time that Maggie Smith was 10 years younger than Betty White, and she is. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. Look yeah, that's insane. Now, obviously, that's a little less striking now, but um, uh, but it does speak to there's just something in, there's something yeah. in the water or right <laughs> Anyway, and uh, uh, you got, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, yeah, again, I threw you with that. I can feel it. I really threw you with that. Well, I just thought you had it handy. Yeah, I I love the, love the details. Um, (laughs) What, uh, I mean, not to get too deep here. So, like, you know, he he has like this sort of heart to heart heart to heart with his father was there a certain thing uh you you wrote in your memoir that uh you never said to your father or wish you had no job for a man by the way i wish i had yeah there is actually and there's a moment in the end where things kind of come full circle in a way that people are going to be like that's bullshit but it's i swear to god it happened the way it did the way it's it's presented in the book um the there i kind of wish i'd been able to tell him to worry less in general yeah about me but also just in general um i do wish i'd been able to say that but i was able to because he was having kind of a long goodbye with emphysema i was able to say a lot of things and he was able to say a lot of things because we knew time was short right i'm super grateful for that yeah. And um, my father, who let it be said, also enjoyed Shaun of the Dead. Did live to see Shaun of the Dead, and did that's enjoy good. It very that's much. good. Um, yeah, yes. that's a total win. That's a total win. Um, but he, um, yeah, I think we, I got a chance to to say a lot of things. Here's something I really wish, though. Um, I do wish he'd gotten to watch me become a dad, mm, so I could yeah. have been like, hey. I might have been kind of rough on you. This is a hard job. <laughs> right. uh, I really kind of wish I had. Um, yeah. Okay. So I I, uh, I want to just kind of get my side of the street in order here for a moment, if I can. Um, I uh, I was a challenging son, and uh, now uh, as someone with some challenging kids, I uh, I see uh, I see what you went through a little more clearly. Um, yeah, right. I, yeah. I really wish we we'd had it because I did get a chance to say that to my mom, which is great. Good, I, yeah. My mom watched me become a dad to both my kids, and and I was able to say a lot of things to her, and that's in the book, and thank God for that. But my dad, 
died very soon before I became a father myself. So there was yeah. no overlap there. That's one thing I, I regret. But depending on your uh, your spiritual background, I, I'd like to think he's a uh, there's some bit of energy out there that is right. rare that I've 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 learned a lot. Is that, yeah, no, is that what you believe? I don't even not that we have to get deep into it, but is that I kind of have to, yeah. you know, uh, is it what I believe? I don't know. You know, I um, hope I hope, you know, I, I so much happened in the year my my dad passed in, in terms of me becoming a father. And I remember being on the couch with my newborn feeding her dozing watching a then brand new tv show called Mad Men, and saying to my wife like holy shit my father would have loved this show yeah and my wife saying like i bet he's watching it you know and she's not a deeply religious person either you know she doesn't she's a, a big concept of the afterlife but we were both like because he's pete campbell's age man he would have fucking loved this show right would have yeah fucking loved this show <laughs> Um, so yeah, I like to think there is some sort of, uh, uh, sense of awareness out there or enlightenment that comes with, uh, with our transition. I don't know. We got, we got deep, dude. We got, this got intense real fast. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I can see... He'd be watching it, and, you know, like, see, this is a job for a man right here. Don Draper. Don Draper. That's entirely. Oh, God. Well, that's interesting because, um, I guess it finally clicked for me is and what the, what the the tension is for you is the fact that he actually does have he knew what was good and he he knew what he knew all of it um but yet you know it wasn't as if he was like ah that's all that's all crap <laughs> and you shouldn't no. get into it you know it no was there wasn't a, there wasn't a sense of like i mean he there, he wanted me to you know I, I think my father had the same misconception that like oh well if you want to do shakespeare you sign up at the shakespeare place and, <laughs> and that's how that works yeah uh, and then uh, oh but if you want to shakespeare on broadway oh that's a different list you just yeah. walk down the hall and you sign up over there and then you get to do shakespeare on broadway and that's how that works so you i do he had that do your orientation and <laughs> but I think he got to a point where he um, he saw that I was doing fairly good work, that I was growing a little bit as an actor. And, yeah, he was a fan. He's the reason I do this stuff. Yeah, He would take me. There was a place in New York that, when I was a kid, was called the uh, Museum of Broadcasting and then became the Paley Center for Media. And we would watch old TV shows. Um, I mean, old, like your show of shows, that was the week that was laughing stuff from the 50s and 60s, dawn of TV type shit, mm -hmm. yeah. um, because he was sort of an amateur historian as well of these things. He got me into the good stuff. He recognized the good from the bad. Um, and he was not a complete snob. He loved a ton of, uh, of multicam sitcoms. And he, he, uh, I think he would have eventually really enjoyed big bang theory had he lived to see it. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't a sense of like, you know, we're, uh, we're Puritans and you will not use the devil's medium. I think it was a sense <laughs> right. of like, shit, this is what I wanted to do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's yeah, hard. That's, and that's a hard yeah. thing for a father to admit. And he did admit it. And I got a little pissy about it, but, um, I, I think it was um, I think he realized that I was sort of fulfilling a, a, our own version of an American an American dream in the sense of like, oh, this thing you got me into, I do it for a living now. That's how I feed my kids. It's awesome. Yeah, uh, fantastic. That's... Great, great stuff. Uh, I, John, I want to do a quick time check because now we're at eight thirty. I don't we want don't want to take too much uh, your availability. Do like another ten. Want to do another ten? Okay. Yeah. Is that cool? Yeah. 
I also feel like what do, what do you have you else in, to say? You get Dave? into like you get into your like your ninety minute two hour podcast. I, I mean, I don't. Yeah, uh, I know. That's maybe <laughs> if I'm driving down to San Diego to see my aunt. Maybe. Yeah. But like, I think you know, hour yeah. hour ten. That's a good. Yeah. Oh, I, I, ideally, yeah, exactly. we get, uh, hopefully we get it done in a half hour. It just never happens. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, Dave's always like the movie, and that's I know. I'll, I'll own that. Yeah, I'll that, own that. that. you know, I, no, I it's like a motherfucker. I know. We love it. I, that, like I'll, I'll, you know, I'll like be like, all right, well, I'm gonna start getting in the movie at this point, probably in the podcast. But if a guest is talking and they're giving me interesting yeah, things, no, like it's like, it's great. I love it, man. Yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. And I just like having a flowy conversation, seeing where it goes. You know, just go with the flow. You I know, think we were pretty uh, flowy. I think, yeah, the flow we were, was, uh, we were flowy. <laughs> yeah, I think the flow was 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 happening. Was I mean, do you, do you have any? Um, uh, I mean. And Dave, you, I, I, I'm not to call you out, but I, I feel like you haven't had much to say about the movie. Do you have anything uh, you, 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 we haven't talked about yet that you wanted to mention? Yeah, I mean, with the guest monopol- monopolizing the whole discussion. Um, yeah, jeez, <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> I think for, for me, what I love, I've been, everything that's already been said, but I love the buildup. Um, kind of talking about the hints of, like Ben, you said it's a zombie movie, but I just like. You know they're going through their lives, and there's this like disaster happening just just out of reach. Yeah, you know, slowly, and it and it, and it take. It's not like it's five minutes. It's like a third of the movie before it becomes real. You know, no, they take their time. They take their time, and it's it's interesting the way they ramp up the the tension and the satire at the same time yeah. by having just weird moments of like. He's on the bus and he watches people just fall over in the park <laughs> or the thing we mentioned earlier about just all the people just kind of staring at their phones and checked out anyway. Yeah. Um, but there's that amazing tracking shot when he wakes up just oh. toxically hungover and goes to, down to the what do they call it in, in London? They have a word for it because um, it's a bodega in New York. Uh, I don't know what you. I have no idea. He goes yeah. to the convenience I, store. I, yeah. And there's that yeah. great gag where he slips in the blood and doesn't notice it. Right. Yeah. Um, and gets his his cornetto. Hence the hence his little. There's little, blood on the on the case. Blood on the on the cabinet. <laughs> he just throws his money down, not noticing that there's no one behind the counter, or if there is, they're dead. Yeah. It's it's one wonderful bit after another. But that tracking shot should be discussed in the same hushed tones that the one at the beginning of Touch of evil should is you know I mean, yeah. it is magnificent and so and it kills in front of an audience oh well, my it, god even the clear zombies like oh i'm sorry i don't have any change on yeah. me like, yeah. <laughs> you just see yourself doing that like, right yeah you know oh, like you just get lost in your it, it, Go ahead, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it doesn't if the zombie apocalypse does happen it's probably going to go down like that you're just going to be you know, in the aisle of a grocery store, you know, putting your oranges in a bag and then there'll be something next to you, you know? Yeah, seriously. So, and like we have a stock boy will suddenly collapse or, or you know, bite into your neck or something. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I, I fully expect that's how it's going to go down. I love that. Yeah. I love. Go ahead, Ben. No, I was just going to say that you also uh, before we actually see a confirmed zombie, there's like this like homeless guy in the park and it looks like he's about to eat a pigeon like right. uh, but you don't know though you, yeah, you still don't sure. know is at that, that point is he just person, a person or is it right a, or is it one of the first zombies yeah. exactly yeah. like it's uh, that's what i love too yeah it's just like you you know something's coming but it's like oh is this the moment is this the moment like i said it's just yeah the classic disappear behind the bus <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Oh, like, so, oh, he's right. gone. Beyond all that, I mean, the setup is, I think that's almost 90% of what makes this movie so good because it builds anticipation. You get to know the characters and then it's, all right, we're going. Um, but it is the, it's the relationships. It's it's how these characters relate to one another. And I think, mm-hmm. John, you mentioned it. This movie is made with care. This wasn't meant to, this movie was not made to be, it might've been, you know, marketed as or perceived initially by the audience as this is just a silly, fun comedy horror. There's much more to this um, and even a little bit of satire. You know what I thought I was thinking, Ben? This movie reminded me of we get to like after the end of the movie. It's so much. It's like a post postscript where they have the zombies. Are like they're 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 not all dead, but they're still useful. We could put them to work at like Walmart <laughs> or something. Yes. Oh yeah, they're 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 at work at, at supermarkets. The game shows where you can bet on them. Yep. Um, uh, yeah. There's a, a Zed Day has become a uh, a bit of a thing. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, yeah, it's just it's making like use a little of bit of an way. homage to Paul Verhoeven to me, you know, because you'd see little bits of that in in his films. So I thought, yeah, there's just... a, there's a soupson of like RoboCop in there, yeah. or maybe even Starship Troopers. You're right; exactly. that's a really interesting point. I've never thought about it that way, but there is a sense of like, seriously, how would the media take this? What would the media do with this? That's really interesting. I've never considered that, but you're absolutely right. Yeah. Wow. Huh. You, you you even have, uh, especially back then, Coldplay was huge. Like, they have a quick snippet of Chris Martin, uh, <laughs> the front man of Coldplay, like, having, like, a Zed Day shirt on or whatever. And, like, and apparently, yeah. if you go to the IMDb page, I haven't noticed it. I'll have to watch it again. He's apparently uncredited as a zombie outside the oh. Manchester as well. Okay. Yeah. So that's fun. That's, there you go. Yeah, I mean, I can... Uh, have have you uh, in any of your roles? Have you had to put on crazy makeup like that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, I'm glad <laughs> asked Benjamin, because as it happens tonight, I play a burn victim on Station 19. Oh yes, Station 19. It wow. was an hour and a half in the makeup chair. Getting it was actually it was incredible craftsmanship to watch up close. It was like one of those reasons why it's fun to be both a fan and a practitioner uh, of this business because. Yeah. They had they had their burn lady. There's like the lady who's like, oh, she's the burn lady. She's going to it's incredible. And the combination of of just art and craftsmanship that went into making it look like my legs were so fucked up, I could not walk. (laughs) Um, There's like a combination of like the black makeup to look at, make it look charred on top of a layer of sort of like. Uh, liquid skin kind of stuff like the stuff you would like a liquid bandage sort of thing yeah. and the liquid bandage is torn up to make it look like the, it's gotten into, and then everything underneath that is shaved and pink and so you look at there like oh you almost this is going to sound really like artsy and gross but you almost are like oh god looking at this my legs almost hurt yeah <laughs> like, this makeup is so good I my legs almost hurt it was so incredible the the work that went into and again ninety minutes over two days to get um or ninety minutes one day ninety minutes the second day to get my legs looking like that and people coming in and taking photos and be like I feel like we need a little more char up here on his upper thigh yeah. Yeah, like, no it already hurts get in there you know so, yeah do you so think stuff like that I find um it's so fun because no I have not actually had a chance to do a lot yeah. of prosthetic work or or anything like that the one thing I and this is in the book. I did a day, I did the very last day of the Santa Claus 3, the Disney film with with Tim Allen. And um, Tim Allen, who is a, you know, 
famously mercurial gentleman. Um, uh, <laughs> he apparently, I don't know, depending on who you ask, he, he didn't seem that keen on doing a third Santa Claus, but he was contractually bound to do it. And he had to spend like two and a half hours in the makeup chair getting yeah. done up. And at the end of that, what you had was an incredibly irritable Chris Kringle, <laughs> which is hilarious. My yeah. day, it was it was the uh, is sort of his um, his George Bailey moment of what if he'd never become Santa Claus and he's yeah. a miserable Scrooge like prick and I'm his coworker, <laughs> his Bob Cratchit, whatever. It's fun. I get a I, it airs every Christmas and then I get a weird little check in February. Um, nice. But uh, it. Um, uh, <laughs> I always thought that was like the 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 worst prosthetic situation ever to like spend two and a half hours uh, getting made up to look like Santa Claus and then being really pissed off about it. <laughs> right. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. What uh, I mean, uh, I, I don't even have to air any of this. Is Tim Allen uh, cool or is he like he was, you know, it's it's hard to say <laughs> because I he was perfectly pleasant to me and complimentary okay, yeah. of my work. He said a couple things that made me a little uncomfortable while I was on set. Um, I, everyone's really litigious these days. I, I had it in the book, and they were like, eh. And I was like, you know what? I can take it out. That's fine. Here's a funny story about him in makeup. And they're like, that's fine. Why don't you do that? Oh, man. Like, because he also said, blah, 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 and also blah, blah, blah. And he did it in a blah, blah, blah voice. And they're like, yeah, you know what? Let's leave that out. And I'm like, okay. okay. Let's not get Simon and Schuster caught up in any sort of legal shenanigans. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, I want to know the details so bad now. They used, um, they're bringing but, back uh, that, you know. this series on Disney+. Plus. Uh, they're bringing it back as a series, and maybe they can do it all digitally now, and it will take less time. I don't know. I don't <laughs> yeah, know. seriously. I have um, no further comment. <laughs> yes. And I think that's a perfect way to end the show. Yeah. Uh, John, <laughs> uh, any any final thoughts on Shaun of the Dead? Um, that, it's uh, great, and I want to watch it again. It's great, and mm -hmm. I, I definitely want to. What I want to do is I want to. I've shown it to my kids. I made the mistake of showing it to them at the beginning of the pandemic, however, when like, oh. hey, here's this great thing where everyone's ter <laughs> terrified of the outside world, so they cram themselves into a Oh shit! What am I done? <laughs> <laughs> Not a great choice, and I own that. <laughs> I, but, uh, hey, as well, long actually, as you own it. Yeah, no, Walter, come here for a sec. Shaun of the Dead. When we showed it to you, like right at the beginning of the pandemic, it wasn't that bad. You were okay. I. It's funny, right? And didn't screw you up that we watched it like right at the beginning of quarantine. <laughs> no, you're okay. No, Dad. This is something I'll tell my therapist. Uh, in Ten happening? years. What was that? We were just talking about that, how it's sort of a weird little satire. <laughs> really? Just now. He was hanging out with his friends nearby. And that was the, that's the whole message of the beginning of that movie, that scene where everyone's wandering around in the credits, staring at their phones. And you know what? That movie came out three years before the iPhone. Those aren't even smartphones. Those are like Blackberries. <laughs> Crazy, right? <laughs> yeah Walter Bowie ladies and gentlemen uh, <laughs> there you go <laughs> oh, love it <laughs> but man it's uh, yeah no I really appreciate you coming on this has been an absolute blast uh, hope everyone uh, picks up the copy, copy of No Job for a Man coming out November 1st November 1st, 11-1-2022. Um, man, it's, uh, it's been an absolute blast. What, uh, where can people find you on social media or anything? Or uh, I'm at John Ross Bowie on Instagram, and uh, details will be posted there. 
bada bing bada boom uh but yeah man thanks so much for coming on this was delightful thanks for having me guys 